Before we begin, how about how let's begin with a word of prayer. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be to be to be um, to be written for our for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of Thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope. Of everlasting life, which thou hast hast which thou hast hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, classic collect of the word with the theys and the thous. Um, anyway, so uh, lamentations. You, we said before, yeah the 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 video we just watched uh, from the Bible Project on the introduction to Lamentation said that it's by an anonymous author. Um, I wonder if that's some more recent critical uh, scholarly uh, opinion, because a lot of these, a lot of these um, books of the prophets say who it is that's writing it and when they're writing it and all these things like that, right? This one doesn't say that within the text. But, like you said, the style, um, the timing, um, it, 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 it all falls in line with Jeremiah. You know? And the church has always believed that it was Jeremiah. And so we shouldn't just throw tradition out the window unless the tradition is saying something horrible that is contrary to Scripture, right? Uh, or something that really just contradicts Scripture. So, but that does not. So, it's safe to say, just like those folks who want to say that Hebrews was written by St. Paul, which I am one of them, I think that St. Paul either wrote it or it was a sermon that he preached that someone transcribed, right? I think it comes from Paul, though. That's just me. It's not against Scripture. We can have these opinions, and that's okay. Um, so, Lamentations. Um, let's, let's, let's begin before we go into our, our um, study here. Let's have uh, us read Lamentations chapter 1. There's 22 verses, like we said, or like we heard in the video. If somebody wants to do half and someone else do half, or just do all 22, that's just fine. Who wants to get us started by reading Lamentations chapter 1? How lonely sits a city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The road says I and mourn because no one comes to the set feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master, her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her 
Because of the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, all her splendor has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction in Roman, Jeremiah remembers all her pleasant things as she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to save her. The adversaries saw her and mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore she has become vile. All who honored her despise her. Because they have seen her nakedness, yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanly, uncleanness is her, in her skirts. She does not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. The adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given her valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see. If there is any sorrow like my sorrow which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From above she has sent fire into my bones, and it overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. My transgressions were bound into a yoke by his hand. They were fashioned together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord had trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a, a filthy among them, thing, a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into, into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the streets, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. 
Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Okay. So, um, we see here the 22 verses are um, the acrostic poem. You remember what that is? Um, that each verse begins with uh, the preceding Hebrew letter in the alphabet. So if it were something like, in our language, the first verse would begin with A, the second verse would begin with B, the third verse would begin with C, and so on and so forth, all the way. But there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet to those 22 verses. And like we saw in the video, there's a lot of chaos and pain and suffering that Jeremiah is trying to process and it's almost as if the structure helps to kind of put words to the grief, right? And the pain of what's going on. So um, we see on our, our sheet here uh, with look, the prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations following the, the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. Uh, this brief book uses five odes or laments to communicate its message. The reader who has finished the book of Jeremiah will see that both books have, have, uh, have, have many expressions and pictures in common. What the Lord had predicted through Jeremiah during some 40 years of prophesying had come true. Jerusalem weeps over its downfall, chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5. And Jeremiah, who bore the brunt of, of its... Of, Jeremiah, who bore the brunt, the brunt of its um, wickedness and rejection of God's word, weeps also. We see that in chapter three. Um, before we get into the discussion portion, portion, um, I guess it, it might help to say, what's the point of reading Lamentations? <laughs> I guess I should have led with that, but. The point that I see, at least, and y'all can add your comments as well, the point that I see is that, well, as, as I was preparing for this a little bit, um, when I found the video from the Bible Project, it was on my Bible app that I have on my phone, um, version or whatever, the Bible app. And they also have these, I'll say like popular mainstream non-denom pastors that get on there and have a big media presence and they get on there to do like quick two or three minute devotions on a passage or on a certain verse. Usually they take it wildly out of context and say things they shouldn't say about it. But it's funny, every single one of them, the only verses they would touch were like chapter three verses 22 through 24, which say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, and so on and so forth. It's the part with the hope. None of them want to touch the other stuff, right? None of them want to touch the hard things in chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5, right? Um, they, don't, they don't want to deal with it because how are you going to fit that into a quick soundbite for two or three minutes, right? This book needs to be chewed on, digested, and thought about uh, because there are things that we can learn from it. I love how in 
the video we watched that that it helps us to know that suffering in silence is not a virtue necessarily, right? Um, that God expects and even commands us to cry out to him when we're in pain, right? And so this, along with other uh, psalms of lament, like Psalm 10, 63, 69, 74, and 79, they show us how to formulate our complaints when we are on the brink of no hope, right? But anytime you look at those psalms, it's not just weeping and complaining. There is hope attached to it. So biblical lament always includes some kind of hope in God's promise, right? It's never just despairing. Yeah. So I think that this is a very important book for us to at least look at for the next couple of weeks um, because I mean, nowadays we have a lot of things it seems to lament about, right? I mean, things are, things are getting pretty bad. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if things got a whole lot worse. In fact, I kind of expect it. So uh, this helps us understand that it's okay to cry out to God. And it's, and it's okay because I, I, I would imagine that other people, along with Jeremiah, saw what was happening and saw that Jerusalem and Judah deserved what happened. And yet they were caught up in the whole thing, right? They were righteous in some sense, but because they were a part of that, that people, the whole collective people got punished, right? So no matter what nation you're a part of, no matter what country you call home, if your country um, is godless and you are a faithful person though, you might get swept up with all the other godless people in some sort of temporal punishment. So you need to understand that sometimes that's what happens. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. And we may think it's not just on the outset, but to be a part of a people that are being punished collectively for the collective sins of a, of a country or something like that. I mean, it, sometimes the good people get caught up with the bad in the temporal punishment but the eternal um, reality is different depending on who they are. Yeah. Any 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 thoughts about that? Questions? Well, and God's always preserving a remnant somewhere. Right. Yeah. I forget which other prophet it was. Um, they were talking about they were prophesying doom and everything like that. And he goes, "Well, don't worry, because I've preserved like he gets like a few thousand. Mm -hmm. It's like seven thousand. And also, and there's also, yeah, there's also Elijah where he's he's thinking that he's the last one, and God okay. says, "I've preserved you know so many hundred people in, um, in the nation that that will that that are believing, right? You're not the only one left. God preserves a remnant for sure. Yeah, yeah. So there is hope in all these things. Um, any other thoughts about why it's important to look at this book? Before we dive in? Well, I think it says it's okay to be sad. Yeah. I mean, sad is not a sin. It's just an emotion. Right. And sadness happens because of sin, right? And who's going to deal with sin better than God? Right? Cry out to him. He's the only one that can really do anything about it. Yeah. Maybe it helps you to remember how bad things 
can get when you do fall away from God and, and stop listening to what he's yep. telling you to do. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, we're going to see how bad it can get. Um, and, and, and just before we get into this too, I think this is a good... If you want to think in like movie terms, this is a good uh, place to start if you want to get into um, Jeremiah, because then you'll see Jeremiah as like a prequel. You know, it's like, it's this bad? What happened? I want to know. So you go back and read Jeremiah and you go, oh, and you go, oh, 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 it just gets worse and worse. Now I can see how it got that bad, right? Um, so anyways, uh, maybe someday we'll, we'll go into Jeremiah as well. It's a long one, 52 chapters. Um, there's a link over it through Sharper Iron right now on the podcast. Yeah. I'm listening to. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Jeremiah is a great, great book. We we should we should go through it sometime. Um, was Jeremiah in Babylon when he wrote this book? Or? No, um, I think that he. It's traditionally held, I believe, that he was in. He went into exile in Egypt. That's how oh, he escaped. The yeah, he was in Egypt, um, and everyone else was carried away to be subjects of uh, Babylon, like Daniel and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys. But he did buy a field before that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's great. A little trivia there. <laughs> yeah, that's good, that's good. Yeah, all right, well, let's, let's dive in to discuss. Maybe you can pull out some more things for us, Sean. Um, I'm not discouraging you at all, please do. Um, Bring it on. Yeah. So, first question in the discuss portion. What great tragedies have struck the once favored city of Jerusalem? See that in verses 1 through 3. Just, what do you see there? Been wiped out. Exiled. Abandoned. Wiped out, exiled, abandoned, destroyed. Yeah. Anything else? Overtaken. Mm Mm-hmm. Overtaken. She who was a princess among the provinces has now become a slave. Right. I guess it's all the people that I guess they had affiliations with have all been like, no, nah, we're not going to help you out. Babylon's coming. And, yeah, you see that in verse 2, right? The lovers that they mention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and, and I don't think that, that that word is just used lightly either. Lovers is not a good thing in this context, right? Because what happened with Judah when they saw, at this time in their history, what happened with them when they saw the Assyrians and the Babylonians and other foreign nations gathering around? Who did they put their trust in? You remember? Was it Egypt? Pharaoh? It was Egypt, Pharaoh, yeah, Pharaoh. Or what, who it was at the time. Yeah, Pharaoh in um, the land of Egypt is hilarious, given their history, right? Uh, From the slavery they came out of and everything like that, they're going to rely on Egypt to save them. Whereas, who should they really have trusted in? God, God, right? The one true God that delivered them up out of Egypt, that delivered them into the promise in that delivered them into the promised land. You know, that, that, that took care of them, has taken care of them all the way up until this time, that he, like now, was betrothed to them, right? He's their husband in that sense, in the same sense that Christ is the bridegroom to his church. 
that it's it's that strong of a connection. And so for them to have lovers, what does that mean? It's kind of like they've been prostituting themselves out. Yeah, at the very least, adulterous, right? But maybe they've maybe they've been charging for it too. I don't know. Um, yeah, so prostitution for sure. So their lovers, the ones that they thrusted themselves on and 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 depended on as if they were their husband, have shown themselves to be anything but, right? They've deserted her. And all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become the enemy, right? So, um, and Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the, the uh, really the Gentiles, right? But finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all, uh, have, have all, um, overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Right? So Jerusalem has been devastated by the loss of its freedom and its people. Its allies have betrayed it. And, uh, and, and, and many of its, its citizens have been enslaved and put into um, the exile. Yeah. Any other thoughts or questions about that? I tell you, Wednesdays when I'm teaching is the days that I'm the most hydrated because I stopped to I, I stopped to wait for y'all and I just take a nice big swig. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, number two, if nobody has anything left for that one, number two, why did this desolation strike Jerusalem and Judah? So those in verses five and eight. Why did it strike Jerusalem and Judah? The multitude of transgressions. Yeah. Um, yeah, the multitude of transgressions. Um, she has sinned grievously, right? Uh, and another, uh, the metaphor there still applies in verse 8, that all who honored her despise her, right? Uh, for they have seen her exposed, right? Her, her, uh, her... Uh, her nakedness, yeah? And that goes back to uh, the understanding we see from um, Leviticus 18, verse 6, that to see someone's, to see, to see someone's, um, to see someone's, um, excuse me, to see someone's, um, Nakedness would mean that there was some sexual involvement, right? Um, that it involves personal honor. Um, modesty and uh, sexual identity, right? So... To put it very bluntly, Jerusalem and Judah played the whore, right? And they are disgraced as a result. I mean, we might want to soften it a little bit sometimes and say they played the harlot. Same thing. 
think nowadays we should be very blunt about these things, right? The harlot doesn't mean much to us. Like, what's that? That sounds very quaint and antiquated, right? But let's it's, it's that grave and serious, right? She whored after other other people and other gods. And she brought the disgrace upon herself, right? Um, as, as a people, yeah. What were they doing? I heard they were doing like Baal worship mm -hmm. and worshiping, uh, was it, is it Asher, Asher? Asher, mm -hmm. like within the temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that. And also in high places and things like that. And, and they've all like, yeah, Jerusalem is a head of, Jerusalem and um, Israel has always had a problem with idolatry and false gods worshiping them. So not, yeah, so um, yeah, they desecrated the temple in, you know, several different ways and all this stuff, you know. It's, it's so much of that today, nobody has respect for anything anymore. Right. Anything goes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> Don't, don't get me started on what you see in most Christian churches nowadays. Uh, in some sense, they're kind of desecrating the temple, if you ask me. Um, uh, most egregious of all, I think, is like when they have, you know, drag queen story hour during, during the children's time at church. Have y'all seen that? In some of, yeah. Some of these more liberal congregations will say, you know, we want to be inclusive, and they'll have a drag queen come in and talk to the kids. Uh, and like, like I've seen pictures where it's, it's, and I think, I think it's like, I've seen it in England. I've seen it, in, you know, in some, some churches here where they'll do that. And, and I just think to myself, if you ever thought that you were a Christian congregation, that just made it go right out the window. Right. Um, of course, I've some of these in libraries, but I hadn't heard they were doing churches. In some in in some of the very liberal congregations, they are doing that. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because, well, this is meant to be a joke, so hopefully you take it as a joke. On on one side, you have a, in these churches sometimes you have two cross dressers. You have a man that's dressed as a woman, and a woman dressed as a man who's trying to be the pastor. So. <laughs> they obviously didn't read the book. No, they didn't. Or, they, any of the Old or, or Leviticus or Deuteronomy or any of these things, right? Yeah, for for a woman to wear men's clothes and vice versa, it's an abomination kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, so <laughs> all I can say is, Lord, have mercy. And if I didn't laugh, I would cry. Um, so, yeah, you see a lot of this stuff today. Um, that's why I think it's important to read this book so we can maybe expect, like, get, get ready for what's coming, probably. Right? Um, know what's coming. Know that God will bring judgment and just pray that you're spared on some level or brought through. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I hear it more and more. Too. I used to listen to talk radio like a lot. Sure. And even this past like, election, they were talking about this red wave and all the countries going to get saved. And yeah. And I had some really close friends and people of mine. They were like, "Oh no, it's going to happen." I was like, I just... "Just shut up about it." They jinxed it. Don't don't expect that to happen. Well, until you until you control the ballot harvesting process, you're not going to win. I'll just say that right now. You know what I'm saying? Because you let your government cheat and get away with it. Well, yeah. Um, this is you know I I point this out because it's an injustice and and the church should speak out about injustice wherever they see it. 
And when you have people in a nation that are being disenfranchised for what they think is a fair process, and you see, <laughs> you see that even if you have a whole bunch of people show up on the voting day or vote or, or, or vote beforehand, you know, uh, as long as you have mail-in ballots, as long as you have like no, this is this is the big difference. One side is concerned with the votes. One side is concerned with the ballots. And the more ballots you have, you win, right? You see what I'm saying? Am I making it clear <laughs> without getting too, too, in, too, uh, too explicit on that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's unfair. It's cheating. So, um, and so that's dishonest. That's, that's lying, right? That's sinful. And uh, yeah, for us to just put the trust in some sort of process or, I mean, it's almost like trust the red wave, you know, or trust the plan. It's all going to go according to plan. We're all going to be saved by the politicians that get in. It's like, that's like trusting in Egypt to save you. According to plan, that's God's plan. That's exactly right. Yeah. America probably has too many lovers, too. That's right. Yeah, sorry. That was the speaker that turned off just then. Um, yeah, America probably does have too many nations that it's in bed with that it shouldn't be, right? So, this is a very... Uh, relevant book, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's just keep rolling on here. Uh, next question. What did Jerusalem acknowledge about the judgment it faced? Verses 17 through 18. The Lord is in the right. Yeah. For I have rebelled against his word. They deserved it. That's right. Yeah. God is good and right in doing these things. Um, Jerusalem has confessed that God had warned it, right? He told us what was going to happen. But isn't it a shame when you have to use hindsight in that way? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, both good and bad. Yeah, and it wasn't like it was just some spontaneous judgment, like right then, like it had been like years and years and years and years right. of prophesying. That's right. That's well, God is slow to anger. Yeah, but like we saw, he's slow to anger, but his anger does have a limit. Like his patience has a limit. I think that's probably something that's overlooked here. Oh, when a lot, I think a lot of people overlook that. Mm -hmm. They see God just judging, but they're like, man, God took a long time to come to that point. So maybe we can get a get away with a few more things before he comes, huh? Is that kind of what you're saying? I just think that there's, for me, that's comfort, that God is slow to anger. Glad mm -hmm. he's slow to anger. Yeah, most of the time, if you look at that, what was the prophets, two kids that were rebelling and <laughs> they were gone. Elijah. Eli. 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 Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, the high priests, yeah. Sons. sons, yeah, yeah, that's right. And he wasn't too slow on that one. No, he was too quick <laughs> on that one. Um, but then there, there's also Peter's epistle where he's talking about how do not count God's patience as slackness, right? That he is patient for those who would repent, and one day his patience runs out, right? He will, you know, for us now, especially after the, after the Christ has come. And we know, you know, God in the flesh in Jesus Christ. 
and he will return one day to be our judge. Yeah? To judge the heavens and the earth, the living and the dead. Right? And he's coming. He can come back any moment, any day, any time. But just because he hasn't come in a couple thousand years doesn't mean that he's going to take another couple thousand years and you can just do whatever you want until he does. Yeah? That his, his patience is for your repentance and turning away from sin. Yeah? Um, but yeah, so Jerusalem confessed that it, that it had been warned and that God was right to punish its rebellious behavior. Um, yeah, the Lord is in the right. Um, yeah, so any other thoughts about that? Um, what did Jerusalem want God to notice about its plight? Verse 20. Well, they're not feeling good about it. it talks about that, like turmoil in the stomach or whatever. Yeah. Not feeling too good. Yeah, my stomach churns, my heart is wrong within me. Yeah. Um, anything else? One's got to see the evil doing that's going on and to deal and to deal with it. Oh, you see that in like uh, verse 21? Oh, I guess 20, 22, I guess. Yeah, where they say like, you know, um, all... My enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Right? That's kind of a crying out for God to have justice on them. Which he does, right, eventually. Actually pretty quick, too. Babylon Babylon falls pretty quick after this. It doesn't last for very long, for, that, for all that many years, um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, this is their, they, want, they want God to know and to see, you know, as if he doesn't know, but they want him to see the depths of their torment and to know that the people, they understand why God had done these horrible things to them or sent these horrible things upon them, right? Um, they understood the nature of their, um, of their rebellion. They get it, right? And they're saying, this is not... This is not just some walk in the park for us, Lord. You know, that that um, we understand and, and we understand the severity of this. Yeah. Yeah, I bet in their hindsight, I bet it was. I bet it was just like the worst thing, watching the temple be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been pretty terrible. Yeah. Would have been awful. I mean, the place where you believe, because God himself has said that that's where he will dwell. Yeah. Only to be, you know, destroyed. And I think in Ezekiel, he has the vision of the glory of the Lord departing from the temple. Yeah? So God no longer dwells amongst his people like he used to. He has, he's abandoned them for a time, right? He's let them, um, he's let them languish. Uh, but his promises still stand, right? 
And that's what chapter 3 talks about. His promises still are trustworthy. Um, but for right now, they're in the midst of pain and suffering, and they're just feeling so much that they need to just get it out. Yeah? It's interesting that so far they're not repenting, though. They're just saying, Lord, you've done this. Yes, I deserved it. But your punishment's really, really harsh. Okay. But they're not saying, I'm sorry that I have caused wrath. Mm. So I don't know if that comes later or if it doesn't come in at all, but... It's not here yet. Mm. They're sorry that they're hurting, but not really for... For why they're hurting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you would think that would be pretty early on. <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> I think on some level they're trying to, because of the mention of the, uh, the lovers and the, uh, you know saying that Jerusalem sinned grievously. Um, on some level, I think it's there. So, well, I mean, as far as repentance, I, well, the punishment has come. What about so, 22? Would 22 be a form of repentance? Let all the evildoing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Yeah, um, you know, uh, we have... not list them, but well, it might be a pretty long list. So here's, here's, here's how I'll, I'll, I'll address this, is that... Where are all my markers? People have cleaned up after me. Um, so we as, we as Lutherans, and I think rightly so, Scripture talks about this. There's um, repentance. Repentance has two... Parts. I've yeah, talked about this before, right? Mm -hmm. Repentance has two parts. Um, so you have uh, so repentance has two parts. The first part is contrition or sorrow for your sin, right? And then, and and that's you confessing it and saying, "I confess my sin before you, O Lord." Please um, forgive me. Uh, de, um, please um, cleanse me of my sin. Deliver me from the sin that I have committed and the consequences for it, right? So there's that part. Of, there's that contrition and sorrow and calling out to God and saying, please, Lord, have mercy. And then the second part is faith in the promise of salvation and the promise that God hears your confession and grants you his grace and his peace. Um, so right now we're probably getting one side of repentance. They are, they are contrite. They are sorrowful. They admit what they've done. Um, maybe the faith part is going to take a little time to come in where we get to chapter three. Right? Where it talks about the hope that we have and the steadfast love of God and things like that. So they might be working through their grief processing right now and just saying, Lord, I, we deserve it. We sinned. Um, and, and maybe even the sins are so great they can't even count them all. Uh, in fact, we, we kind of uh, account for that. We're not, 
we're not Roman Catholics and that you have to list every single sin for them all to be forgiven. But maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. Because I think there is some sorrow there. Uh, now, whether you want to say they're sorry for getting caught <laughs> or they're sorry just in the fact of sinning itself. I mean, maybe it's a combination of the two. Because remember, this is, this is um, taking into account all the people, not just those who may be sorry for getting caught, but all those who are caught up in the sins of others and saying, Lord, we're, we're just as guilty because we didn't do all that we could to stop this from happening or something to that effect. Is that fair to say, you think? I don't know, I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to make some sense of all this. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I mean, think like uh, Peter and Judas. You could probably say Judas felt worse about his sins. Okay. Um, Based on his reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. Peter committed just as bad a sin as Judas did. Yep. Mm -hmm. But Judas didn't have the faith. Yeah. So... Yeah, he was just so overwhelmed with the guilt and sorrow. Just yeah, we use we use the example of Judas versus Peter. We also use the example of King Saul versus King David, because Saul he did the wrong thing, right? He took upon priestly duties that were not his to do, and God said, "You're no longer going to be the king, and I'm going to anoint someone else," and He anoints David. And Saul is contrite, he is sorrowful for that, but he seeks out assurance from other things, even this witch, right, who tries to you know, conjure up uh, the prophet um, Samuel, that's right. So when, when you have, when you're going to other things, and Judas is the same thing, you know, he's despairing. And he thinks there's no way out of it, so he goes and takes his own life, right? I do believe that if Judas just held on for just a little bit longer and was trusting in the promises of God and didn't reject the promises, as we know that he did by taking his own life, if he would have held on for a little bit longer and seen Jesus raised from the dead, Jesus would have received him back. He would have. I know that for a fact. Um, you know, so it's, it's one of those things of like, uh, uh, if Judas would have not wallowed in despair or grasped onto despair only, he would have been still one of the 12. Sadly, uh, he's, he's, he's an example of what not to do, right? Don't reject the promises of God uh, and hold on to all that with all your might, or with all the might that God gives you, I should say, right? So, yeah, that's a good, good example, good example. Oh, and, and King David is the same way, right? David versus Saul. David sinned, big time, adultery, murder, right? Um, and then he faced the consequences, but he had faith in God's grace and mercy, so. Well, there is... 
at least some faith here because mm. they're crying out to God. They're mm-hmm. not cutting themselves for Baal or something, right. saying, oh, Baal is one punishing us or something. Right. <laughs> you know, they got that much right. Right, exactly. Yeah, so there's some faith there. Yeah, they're crying out to the right person, to the right to the right one. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, any other, any other thoughts on that, that, that last question under discuss? Let's quickly go through the apply section. So um, sometimes God lets people's lives fall apart in order to teach them, uh, in order to teach them um, important lessons. So give some examples of this from the Bible, from history, or from personal observation. So what are some biblical examples of God allowing people's lives to fall apart to teach them something? Prodigal son. Okay. Prodigal son. Jonah. Jonah. Okay. Job. Job. Yeah. Adam and Eve. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 You know, that's, that's actually really interesting. Um, they kind of set, set the type for everything else. Right. Um, and uh, uh, Paul talks about that in Romans eight, that God subjected all of creation to futility, but for the sake of hope uh, or subjected it to death and sin for the sake of hope and not just so they just wallow forever. Because what did God say after he saw that they had sinned? He said, hurry, lest they take from the tree of life and live forever, implying live forever in their pain and misery and sin, and never die, thus not having any hope for um, for salvation and um, redemption. Yeah. So... Um, I'll throw out a few others here. Uh, some other biblical examples are um, the people of Israel during the period of the judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Uh, as soon as they did that, oh, what happened? Oh, all those people you just conquered, or you were supposed to conquer, they come back and they subjugate you, right? Until God brings forward someone like Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, you know, people like that. So um, so there's the judges, the period of the judges. Uh, I mentioned King David, right? And he has consequences for the rest of his life after what happens with, um, with, with, ah, with Bathsheba, you know? Um, he repents and... Nathan says, um, God has heard your prayer, you will not die, right? Um, but your son will. That's right, your son will die, and that won't be the only son that dies. You got Absalom, right, and all the problems that he caused. And even after that, I mean, the problems with Solomon and, and, and even beyond, right? So you got, you, got, you got troubles there as a consequence of sin. Um, and then, of course, Peter, um, who wept after he denied Christ, right? God let his life fall apart for a reason, to teach him uh, 
<laughs> that, well, when when uh, um, when 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 Peter said we'd rather die than fall away, we will die with you, right? I think even Thomas said something to that effect too. And then what happened? They all abandoned him. Yeah. Paul um, was stricken down with blindness. Right. <laughs> yeah. Paul. That's right. Yeah. Could you imagine being or I guess Paul? Saul. Saul. Yeah. Time. Yeah, could you imagine being Saul on the road to Damascus? Oh, how frightening that would be to hear this voice saying, "I am Jesus." Who? So it's like, why are you persecuting me? And you go, "Who are you, Lord?" Oh, you know, that would be terrifying. And see what he did with Paul, right? Um, how about how about historical examples? What are some historical examples of God allowing lives to fall apart to teach an important lesson? There's so many, right? I just thought of, you know, the Roman Empire and the mm-hmm. Soviet Union, which really are not people, but peoples, I guess. Sure, yeah, that's right. Um, I, well, really, I think, I think we shouldn't discount that uh, nations are made up of people, right? So it's, it's a, a people group, um, which has its own culture and life and everything like that. But yeah the fall of the Roman Empire, the fall of the Soviets, um, uh, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks. I mean, you name them, right? Maybe someday they'll say, oh, the American Empire fell, and da 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 You know? Who knows? Who knows? Um, how about personal observation? For personal observation. I don't know, I used to go to the Ingram Park for lunch and watch my co-workers speak to geese or whatever. Anyway, I met some homeless guy there, and I got to talk to him a little bit. And apparently, you know, he didn't have a dime to his name, but he was telling me that less than a year ago, his parents had died, and he'd gotten a huge inheritance. And I'm thinking, how come you're homeless now? Did you squander it, did he say, or...? I didn't get into it, but apparently blew it somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Was he, yeah, I guess maybe he had other family or, or maybe he didn't have other family. He was all by himself and didn't know what to do with all that yeah. or something. I don't know. That's the impression I had. Interesting. All by himself. And now, and now because, and he probably squandered it in sinful ways and he's reaping the consequences for it, you know? So, yeah. Um, how about uh, personal tragedies connected with uh, um, substance abuse, addiction of some kind, um, selfishness, greed, sleeping around, right? All that stuff has its all, it all has its consequences. And God allows the consequence to befall you, right? To come upon you and teach you that you need to be sorrowful you need to repent yeah that's the big lesson repent uh know your sin be sorrowful for it and then hear the word of god that says that you're absolved by the blood of christ um not that it's okay don't worry about it but christ has um redeemed you with his blood yeah 
That, that, was, that was the price that was paid for you. And so, knowing that, you shouldn't take sin so lightly. Because if it took the blood of the Son of God to cleanse you, and he promises to cleanse you, but still, that's incentive to not take it so lightly and say, I'm going to try and do whatever I can not to do that again, right? Do whatever I can to avoid that. So, which kind of brings us to our next last, our, our, our final question here. Desolation came to Jerusalem and Judah because they did not consider their future. As a, uh, You see that in verse 9. What things must a person consider to avoid ruin and gain a blessed future? Sort of things you got to do. Try not to sin. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. It sounds super easy though, doesn't it? <laughs> Easier to said than done. How would you try not to sin? By coming to church and hearing the word of God. That's right. Yeah, that's 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 definitely one way. Come to church, hear the word of God, um, be instructed in good godly living. But what's other way? You're gonna say hide the word of God in your heart. What's that? Hide the word of God in yeah. your heart. If you have it in your heart, then when that time comes, mm -hmm. um, I'll come back to. Uh, <laughs> Psalm 51, mm -hmm. I've done that so many times, Yeah. but created me a clean heart. Then it, you say, cast me not away from thy presence, you're really desolate. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But then you, the next verse says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. So uh, there are times when it, gets, it hits pretty hard and you feel like saying God's deserted me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Yeah. And uh, I've experienced that so many mm -hmm. times. And yeah. Keep coming back to the promises of the Korea. Uh, that also one. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, Charlotte is, she knows it by heart now. Uh, <laughs> I know I keep saying these things. She's, I'm, I'm bragging on her, but that's kind of amazing. A two and a half year old says to me, like, sing the offertory. All right, creating me a clean heart. You know, you go on from there, but and she'll sing it in her crib sometime. But that's to have the word in your heart and on on your heart and dwelling richly within you, as scriptures say, so that you know it's like Deuteronomy what, chapter six that have you know have the word on your lips and you know when you rise up, when you lay down, tell them to your children. Bind them on the doorposts of your house, upon your forehead, upon your arm. Have them all over, you know, have, have the word of God around you all the time so that you would not fall into temptation or despair if you do, right? Or despair when something falls on you that you didn't really deserve in some sense or you don't, you didn't do anything specifically, kind of like Job, you know? Um... I think um, you were going to say something before, too. It's gone. It's yeah. gone. <laughs> oh, sorry. I think you were saying, like, surround yourself with the oh, right yeah. people. Surround yeah. yourself with the right people. Exactly. Going back to that college, that's, oh, yeah. you know, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And you cannot take somebody evil and put them next to somebody good and expect 
I've seen that before. I've seen teenagers. This one gal was had a daughter was a goody two shoes, and this other gal had one who was in trouble, and they put them together, thinking the good one would help the other one. Went out. Doesn't work. I mean, that's in the Bible. Bad, bad company corrupts good character. Don't sit in the seat with the scoffers. Yeah, right. Psalm, Psalm one, right. Um, yeah, do not sit in the seat of scoffers. Do not, you know, stand in the place of sinners and things like that. Uh, yeah, don't surround yourself with the wrong people. Surround yourself with the right people that are going to actually care about your eternal soul. Uh, and also put yourself in the right situation, in the, in, in the right place. You know, it's kind of one of those things of like, uh, if, you, if you have a problem with alcohol... But you're a bartender, you probably should find a different line of work, right? So I said that this morning, and someone said, well, they're not supposed to drink when they're on the job. I'm just like, they can drink afterwards. They can take it home or something like, you know, still, the temptation is there. I've bartended before, and that's kind of like, yeah. some bars have a strict policy on it. Yeah. Other bars, not so much. Not so much. Yeah, yeah. So, so you have that problem. But I'll, and, and I would even go so far, this would be an even harder one. Let's say you have a problem with uh, abusing um, prescription drugs, but you're a nurse or you're a doctor. You probably should get away from that environment where you're not in temptation to write your own prescription, right? Or something to that effect. So, and, and, that, and that's even harder because like that takes a lot of time and preparation and work to get to that point if only to fall into substance abuse and then say i got to get away from this or else i'll die that's a hard call for some people but it's something you got to do i believe something you got to do put yourself in the right place surround yourself with the right people read your bible hear the word of god as as often as you can come to bible study more importantly come to church right church that's right Right. yes the church yeah drag queen yeah, ideally, ideally one that holds as we do that 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 this that um, the gospel is purely preached and the sacraments are rightly given, right? I mean, there's so many different churches, denominations. It's just amazing to me. I mean, even Little Fredericksburg, you drive around here. I know. I have no clue what all their faiths are in what. Mm-hmm. And that's why over on top of that road. And you can't call it the cars all that are in the parking lot during the service. Unto- uh, is that like the bridge or whatever? The bridge, right? yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's amazing to me. It's yeah. I just can't believe it. Yeah, I don't know. And and, and I... Yeah. Did you talk about the barbecue place? Yeah. 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 But, I, you know, it's one of those things like I... They're... The, the GCMA... This is kind of a tangent, but I'll keep it short... The GCMA, um, the Gillespie County Ministerial Alliance Association, um, they they're having something going on at the first at, at the United Methodist Church, some sort of seminar on marriage, and 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 I'm 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 looking to try and actually incorporate something within our church to focus on uh, that as well. Not just a one-time thing uh, or twice a year, but have something ongoing, not just for those who are um, husband and wife, but those who desire to be, right? So you understand what you're getting into beforehand. But it's, I think it's kind of funny 
that thing is being put on by all the, you know, supported by all these different denominations. I don't even know if we all agree on what marriage is, you know? I, I mean, I, I, I know for a fact there are certain churches in this town that, we, that I would extremely disagree with their understanding of marriage. So I don't understand how we can all be united in going to a marriage seminar talking about how to have a good marriage, right? So it's just, and so that's kind of scary, right? So surround yourself with the right people. Uh, people really just believe the Bible. How, how about let's start there? People who read their Bible and actually believe what it says, yeah, and and honestly, I think I think the Missouri Synod could do a lot better in that category as well. Um, reading their Bible and knowing and believing fully, wholeheartedly what it says, yeah, because um, I think there's some things we kind of turned a, a blind eye to in some sense, but we won't go into that right now. Uh, yeah, as far as staying away from stuff, you know, you mentioned, we mentioned uh, if you're an alcoholic, stay out of the bar. If you're a chronic gambler, yeah. you do throw your phone away because it's right there. Oh, yeah, you can. Well, I don't know. They have recovery programs for them, too. Um, there's ways. It just depends on what your affliction is, right, and your temptation, huh? I'd have to ask my, my old chef about that. He was a uh, bad gambler. Well, it used to be a little, a little harder to do. Now it's yeah. Like every convenience store, every. I mean, he was living in Vegas, so you don't need a bookie anymore. The... I mean, that's a thing in the past, right? Yeah. But well, that's it. That's it. Online, yeah. sports betting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Call it in. Yeah. So uh, I guess to wrap it up with this last one. So Lamentations helps us to see that either in this life or for all eternity, we do have a future, right? I mean, so you're gonna have everlasting life one way or the other. Either it's in heaven or it's in hell, right? So you're gonna be living forever in one way or the other. So through repentance and faith as, and uh, life with life as God's people, we will want to prepare for our future. We wanna do what we can to get out the leaven, right? Because, what does it say about that? That a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Um, do all that you can to get all of it out, right? Um, and if you need help, I mean, you have people that care about you at church. You have a pastor who cares about you, right? If, if you need help with that, I, that's what I'm here for, honestly. That's what I'm here for. So, um, since our future is in God's hands, we will turn to him for forgiveness and uh, and grace, right? And his steadfast love. Yeah? So, any final thoughts on this? I did have a final thought on this number six right here. Yeah. Um, the last question. In Jeremiah, there's a verse where they're saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of mm-hmm. the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Right, Israel thought they had they were safe because they had all the checklist yeah. items going on. That's right. I think some people today. I used to fall into that like, oh, I've been confirmed. Check. Yeah. <laughs> I go to church this many times a year. Check. Yeah, it's the yeah. wrong. It's the wrong thing to focus on. Yeah, you can actually take those things and those can become idols. Yeah. Strangely uh, enough, you wanna you you wanna go even farther? Something that's more probably at 
probably more closer to home for us, uh, people will use their Bible as an idol, right? I, I, I know people that will say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Here's my Bible. But when you pull it off the shelf, it's full of dust because they haven't picked it up. They just go, that's my talisman that says that I'm a Christian. Right? But they never read it. Or, or they'll say, you know, um, they'll say on some level, uh, well, we have the Bible. And you go, yeah, but do you do what it says? <laughs> do you believe what it says, first of all? And then do you do all that Christ has commanded you to do, like he says in Matthew 28, right? Um, or do you just gloss over some things, yeah? So don't, or maybe even for, for us as Lutherans, you can hold up a book of Concord and say, we've got the book of Concord. And you go, that's great. What about your Bible? You read that too? Yeah, read, read both. That's very good. Um, I'm not poo-pooing the book of Concord. I can't. I mean, I do believe and subscribe that it is uh, the true exposition of God's word. But if you just say the Lutheran church will stand forever because we have these two books and you go, you better open them. Otherwise, they're not going to be good for anything. Right. Um, uh, and of course, the book of Concord is beneath scripture. Let's just make that clear. We don't have it on par. We have it beneath. It helps us to understand the Bible better. Um, but yeah, so we can do that. It's a temptation. Uh, or even to say, <laughs> I don't know who does this. Maybe there's somebody out there that says, well, I'm baptized. God will never forsake me because I'm baptized. I can do whatever I want. You go, that's not how that works. Right? That's not how that works. Or even like some people like to say, they've said it for a while now. Uh, I come to church. That's... That's, that's good, but your literal walking through the door of church is not going to save you, right? Believing what is said in church is going to save you. Yeah. You know, the um, Ken Kennedy questions that were used mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of evangelism, asking um, when uh, Jesus, uh, coming to the gates of heaven, or hell, and then said, heaven, why do you, should I let you in? Why should I, Jesus says, why should I let you in? Well, I go to church every Sunday, yeah. or I've got a Bible in my living yeah, room. Right. You know, it's more than that. More than that. That's right. Yeah. Those who say, Lord, but, Lord. But that, that approach was used... Um, I guess mostly in the 70s, mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, in the Missouri Senate did use that too, encourage. I've heard they, they use it in a certain way, or they made it more Lutheran in some sense oh, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, We've yeah. used uh, Kennedy's questions, but we've made them Lutheran. Evangelism explosion, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's, there's another, I heard recently there's a recognized... Um, a recognized service organization with the LCMS that does door-to-door -door canvassing and questioning and things like that. That's of a similar nature, but um, I like it a little bit better too because it says things like people will go to people's doors and they'll just ask a questionnaire. It takes about three minutes. And then the last one is, would you mind if I um, shared with you my hope in Christ? It's not necessarily a testimony of like, I came to faith when I was 12 or something like that, but I know that Christ has died for me and I want that for you too, right? And, and I think that's pretty important. I think that's a nice 
shift a little bit away from this sort of, well, I'm saved. I have a testimony to tell and that's what's going to whatever. And um, I think, I think uh, we'd be benefiting from some other tactics like that with some people, maybe people, you know, very well could help. So anyways, good stuff. Good conversation. Um, I won't keep y'all any longer. This is good. Um, we're going to do one chapter a week. Uh, chapter three is longer. So be prepared for that one. Um, it's like three sheets. So we'll have to go through those pretty quick when we get to them. Uh, but this, this, this will lead us all the way up to Lent. And I hate to say, I just don't know what to do about Concord class during Lent, except to say that we just probably won't have an evening class. But I'll just encourage y'all to come to the um, morning class, the morning class, or or the uh, Lenten midweek service, right? Because we're gonna have soup supper and service as well. So instead of Bible study, you'll come for church, right? Uh, it's just a little bit of a shift. Uh, anyways, something to keep in mind. Um, for now, though, how about let's let's go ahead and wrap this up and close with the Lord's Prayer. So, taught by our Lord and trusting His promises, we are bold to pray. Our, our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.